0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: George Norrie back with you, along with our special guest, Rizwan Burke, with his book called The Simulation Hypothesis, an MIT computer scientist shows why AI, quantum physics, and Eastern mystics all agree we are in a video game. How universal is that agreement, Riz?
0: Well, I'd say that, you know, that, this this model of the world that we are inside a video game is something that scientists and mystics can agree upon but there's differences in how they approach um you know the topic so i think one of the big questions is whether we are what we would call pcs player characters in a video game or npcs or non-player characters who are ais that you might interact with mm-hmm. inside the game interesting um, so, I think that 's an area where there's a lot of difference and and this is where you know I, I realized uh that i'm really I was really onto something when writing this book. I wrote an article about it earlier, but you know some of the scientists will say, "Well, that just sounds a lot like religion <laughs> you know as you start to talk about consciousness outside the video game coming in and playing a character or inhabiting and then some of the guys on the the more religious side would say. Well that sounds, you know, a little too scientific where that we're just a bunch of AI. That can't be the case. But, you know, when you've got this kind of disagreement, uh, you know, with one concept kind of uh rubbing both ways, it 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 both, you know, works for both, but it also raises some interesting questions. So, you know, one of the reasons the simulation hypothesis, which is, you know, what we call this this theory now, uh 20 years after the Matrix, has been taken seriously is there was a professor at Oxford named Nick Bostrom and he put out a paper are you living in a computer simulation now he didn't he hadn't even seen the matrix and was not a video game guy but he wrote this this paper in a well respected you know philosophy journal and his point was more of a statistical argument he said suppose there's a civilization somewhere in the galaxy that is able to get to the point of creating a hyper realistic simulation like a matrix well, how many simulations would they create? They could create as many as they wanted. All you would have to do is spin up another computer system, another server, in, in our own parlance, right? Uh, and you could ha- literally have billions or trillions of beings in each of these worlds on each of these servers. So therefore, the number of simulated beings is way more than the number of real biological beings uh, in the in the galaxy. Therefore, we are more likely to be a simulated being than a real being just by virtue of looking at the numbers.
1: What happens, Riz, if the simulator shuts off the game, basically?
0: Well, that's an interesting question, right? Yes. Uh, if you play, look at some of the old Indian texts, you know they talk about the cycles of creation. Right? And the way that MMORPGs work, if you look at games like EVE Online or even World of Warcraft, they'll have certain servers that have a storyline that's going for a period of time and things will happen in that game, and then they'll end that server or that storyline, or in the ancient Indian text, you know, they talk about ending that that cycle of creation. Um, So, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is what if they stop and rewind the simulation and change things? And so, you know, as part of my research for this book, um, I interviewed Tessa B. Dick, who was uh, the wife of Philip K. Dick, the science fiction writer. right. And, you know, she, she says that he believed firmly that we were inside some kind of computer-generated reality. And, in fact, you know, a lot of his novels and, and novellas were based on this idea that what we're seeing around us isn't real. In fact, he said he remembered a different timeline when, you know, the, if you've seen The Man in the High Castle, the, the Amazon series that's really popular now or read the, the book, Uh, It describes a world where Germany and Japan won the Second World War and and not the Allies. And so, you know, he believed he remembered that timeline and that whoever was running the simulation ended up rewinding it because they didn't like the outcome and then moved it forward again.
1: Well, this is an amazing thing. Now, does it also step on the grounds of religion? Because, you know, we've talked about religion for a little bit. But does what does this do about our belief in God, for example? Uh,
0: well, you know, I, I find that it's actually fairly consistent with what different religious traditions have been telling us, right? So, you know, if we start with uh, what I call the Western religions, right, the Abrahamic line of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, you know, what's the first thing in the Bible? You know, God said, let there be light, and there was, right? And when you turn on a computer simulation, what is it you're doing? You're illuminating the pixels of what I call the rendered world. And so you actually are basically turning on the lights. You know, a lot of scientists have said, you know, they, they don't believe in the religious traditions because it says God created the world in six days. Well, of course, that seems ludicrous from a scientific point of view unless you adopt the simulation hypothesis, in which case six days, I mean, if the Earth wasn't around, that could be six cycles of anything. So all computer simulations have this idea of a clock speed, uh, which is how off you know, what is the smallest discrete step inside the simulation that you can see. Uh, You can't do anything less than that. And so that's usually based on the microprocessor that the computer uh, simulation is running on, but it could represent a year, it could represent a day, but if you had to spin up a whole new world, you could certainly see it taking six clock cycles, uh, to generate algorithmically, you know, all of the different parts of the world that you would need to generate. But, but that's not all. As you look at these religions more deeply, like in Christianity and Judaism, there's this idea of the book of life, which is about the deeds that you've done in this life and whether you're going to heaven, purgatory, or hell. Mm-hmm uh and actually in the quran and the islamic traditions they're even more explicit they call it the scroll of deeds so they have two angels that are sitting there recording everything that you do uh and then after you die you you are shown the, those deeds now we we just had danian brinkley on right and you know danian had a near death experience and when he's he arrived, had like did, four of them now he had like four of them now right <laughs> And when he describes it, he describes the panoramic life review, where you not only see what happened, but you see it from the other person's point of view, right? And that is very much what's described in these texts, particularly with the scroll of deeds, where they say you have to see what impact your deeds have. Okay, so what does this have to do with video games? Well, just before I started writing this book, I was working with a video game company, and what we were doing is we were recording what was happening inside the game. So you might have a a particular play where one player or character, you know, shoots another. Well, we could record it in three dimensions in in the three hundred and sixty, and we could play it back so that you could see it from the point of view of the guy that got shot.
1: Amazing.
0: And so that almost—that's probably the only way for something like that to be implemented after we die, if we're going to be shown these scenes from different points of view. Somebody has to be recording them somewhere. So it's very much like the screen capture. That happens in video games today, but obviously on a, you know, more of a holographic level and a more sophisticated level, but it actually ties pretty well to that idea. And then, you know, do we really have two angels each just recording our deeds? That would be like 14 billion angels. If you were God (laughs) and you were going to set that up, you would probably have those be more like AI or functions. They're just recording what you do so that it can be played back later, so that you wouldn't have to necessarily need conscious beings for every single angel, which means messenger, right, In the uh, as you do the translation, but whereas you might have guardian angels that are more conscious beings that are guiding you. So, you know, as we talk about particularly the, the Western religious traditions, uh, you know, the simulation hypothesis fits very well this idea that there is a here, which is where we are now, and then there is a hereafter, after we leave this place. And so the soul kind of uploads or downloads into the body and then uploads out of the body at death, and then gets to see all of the things that have been recorded in this video game you know, while we were playing
1: it. Whereas, while you were on hold, I was talking about the death of one of our coast-to-coast guests who has passed on. Now, if this were a simulation, a video game, what has happened to him? Did the simulator or the game runner just decide to take him out?
0: Well, you know, so this gets into... He's
1: out of nonsense. the game now.
0: hes He's out of the game this time around, right? But if you're playing a video game... Uh, You would choose a character, and you might choose for that character to have a certain number of quests or tasks that have to be done and challenges along the way. And then, you know, you, at some point, your character might die. You're still there watching the video game, but your character is is gone, but the other characters are still there, right? But they don't know that you're still watching, right? So if we do live in a video game, then, you know, the the colleague that has passed on, uh, just like Danion in his case, right, before he went to the Beings of Light, um, you know, he could see himself. It was sort of an out-of-body experience where he could see everything that was going on. And, and that's been described by a lot of people who've gone through that experience.
1: What does quantum physics teach us about all of this?
0: Well, that's where it got, you know, really interesting. So, you know, my, my background is as a... Uh, a video game designer. And and so I started to take this seriously as I saw how uh, high-fidelity video games were being. I was playing a a ping-pong game a few years ago, a virtual reality ping-pong game. And it started to feel so real that I decided to put the paddle down on the table (laughs) and lean against the table. Now, there was no table.
1: (laughs) And And was there a paddle?
0: There was no paddle, it was the controller that I was yeah. using, so it fell to the ground and I almost fell over, <laughs> so that was you know, one of my conversion experiences, saying, okay, with virtual reality technology, we're getting there, we're not there yet, there's still like six or seven stages we'd have to go before we could build the matrix, but, so, in video games, the reason we can do 3D rendering, if you go back to the days of uh, you know, Space Invaders, and I used to play a racing game on the Atari called Pole Position, right? Those were not fully 3D worlds, and, and the processors were not fast enough. And so what happened was in the 90s, there was a game called Doom that came out. I don't know if you've played it, but probably some of the listeners have, have seen it. <laughs> it was really popular. It was the first uh, game that was really popular that had a 3D perspective where you felt like you were you were shooting other people, but you could see it from the point of view of the character. And before that, it would take too much processing power to render all the pixels of the world. So the golden rule in computer programming of video games, and this is something I learned over time uh, as I built started to build games, is you have to optimize. You only render the pixels that are being observed. So you'd look at where the character is in the room, and you know if there's like a stair, and or there's a, a bureau, and there's something behind it. You don't have to render the pixel behind the dresser. You just have to render exactly what can be seen from the point of view of the character. And that's why we have 3D games today. Okay, so now how does this tie to quantum physics? Well, one of the biggest mysteries in quantum physics is this idea of the particle-wave duality. The idea that a particle can be both a wave and a single particle. By a wave, it can be a probability of a bunch of different uh, places that the particle might be. Uh, and that wave is said to collapse down to a single possibility. Uh, probably an easier way to understand it is the the now infamous Schrodinger's cat, right? which you've probably heard of, yeah. where the cat is in a box with some radioactive material, and he has a 50% chance of being dead and a 50% chance of being alive. So what quantum physics teaches us is when you open the box and look at the cat, that's when one of those possibilities becomes real. Now, that's a little counterintuitive because we would think the cat is either alive or dead. We just don't know because we haven't looked in the box yet, right? But quantum physics tells us that both of those possibilities exist. The cat is both dead and alive until we observe it. And so the golden rule in quantum physics is only when something is being observed does the probability wave collapse from you know, a bunch of uh, random possibilities to what we actually see as the real world. Uh, and so this happens at the quantum level, but it's a lot easier to understand at at, at, at kind of the level of the cat. Or, or if we were in a movie theater, the probability wave would be, I could be sitting in any one of these seats, and it collapses down to one chair, which is one single possibility. Well, it turns out that whole process is called quantum indeterminacy. And in quantum physics, nobody knows why it exists. But they know that it does but
1: exist. That it does exist,
0: yeah. And it turns out it's the same golden rule that I just talked about in video games, which is you render that only that which is being observed.
1: Now, you talked a little bit about synchronicity before. And, of course, synchronicity being the, what they call the coincidence of time. Uh, and I don't believe in coincidences at all. So where does synchronicity fit into this?
0: well that that's a really interesting one and it's kind of you know close to to my heart because i've been thinking about synchronicity in, in different ways, and how synchronicity often gives us clues as to where we might want to go so if you think of yourself in a video game, uh, the way modern video games work is characters have quests that they have to to go and achieve and you know in a video game, the quest might be Oh, go find the map of to the Goblin King, go kill the Goblin King, get the treasure, right? But in a video game like we have, the quests might be, okay, you know, you are meant to write this book, you are meant to make this movie, you are meant to meet this person. So those are a very different kind of of quests. And so I I view synchronicity as the glitch in the matrix, which is a term you know they used in in that movie, but that gives us a, a sense that we should be moving in a certain direction. Uh, and so, you know, Jung first defined the idea of uh, synchronicity, and and we we think of it as a meaningful coincidence, right? And as you said, maybe there are no coincidences, but Jung also used a more technical term for defining synchronicity. He said it is an a causal connection between two events, and so a causal means you can't say X caused Y, um, and so as an example, you know, synchronicity. The other day, uh, you know we had just gotten back to California after having been away, and we were relating a story uh, about um, uh, synchronicity which dealt with a phrase from the Lord of the Rings, and the phrase is "Not all those who wander are lost and so you know we had been talking about this, and I ended up randomly at Hertz and as I walked in, this guy standing there turns to me and says, "There you are. did you know that not all those who wander are lost <laughs> huh. and He said the exact phrase, you know, that we had been talking about with regards to a totally different synchronicity. Now, what was the causal connection? Well, we can't say. But it turns out that if we're a computer-simulated world, then the way things are stored in computers um, are based on association. Uh, And there's a a gentleman named Jacques Vallée who,
1: you we know, right? He also wrote a blurb for your book.
0: He did, yeah. And so he and I were talking about this. And, you know, he's also a computer scientist. He made the first map of Mars for NASA back in the 60s before he was involved with, you know, Alan Hynek and Project Blue Book. And, you know, he, he makes the point that, okay, in a library, we would store everything based on physical space, like the A, the book's authors begin with A, then B, then C, then D. But if we were to store all of that information in a computer, we would store it associatively. So we would associate different things together uh, in the computer as a way of retrieving that information. So in, in, with synchronicity, it, it, in a simulation, it could just be that's how it's organized. So the fact that we were saying one phrase and that this guy, random guy at the Hertz <laughs> said that same phrase right to me uh, is because that's how the code itself is, is organized.